Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you here. Buck Sexton at the mic. Excited to get to hang out with you on this lovely Friday. Uh, this is This is my favorite time of the year, really. I mean, I, I like September when it's still warm, but you get into October and guys like me who, when it's really warm out, are always a little bit more sweaty than I want to be. I can get away with the sweatshirt or the light sweater. I don't, once I have to go jacket, that's a little much for me. But I will I will also wear the vest, a vest, a padded vest, perhaps. Not really a sweater vest guy, per se, but I'll, I'll do the vest. So uh, nice time of year. Lots of stuff going on. Some very interesting news today, which we'll get into. As I like to do, give you a little roadmap of where we're going on the show today. Have to talk about a lot of Trump stuff today. Trump will will play heavily in the show because you had a uh, a speech this morning uh, that he gave on well a, a whole bunch of stuff, and then also on the Iran deal. He has decertified, which does not mean that he has pulled the U.S. out of the JCPOA. The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. You'd think they could get a better acronym, by the way. You know what I mean? You know, just call it something, you know, so that you can have your acronym be S-M-A-R-T. You know, you just just figure out what you have to do to make it the JCPOA. I'll get rid of the JCPOA. The SMART. I don't want to get rid of the SMART. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. Hashtag public relations. Hashtag messaging. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about what the Iran uh, situation is. I'll try to give you some background on why, from my perspective, uh, what's going on with the Iranians cannot continue. And, and the biggest takeaway from all of, uh, of Trump's changes on foreign policy, there's really one overriding principle on foreign policy that Obama, pardon me, that Trump wants to separate himself from Obama on or wants to use to be the dividing line between a Trumpian for, uh, foreign policy and an Obama-esque foreign policy. Uh, so we shall get into some of that on Iran. Uh, also, maybe talk a bit later about some updates to the uh, Vegas investigation, Vegas shooting investigation. I- I'm still wondering when we can just get one story. And and I've I've been reading... All of your comments that you're sending in to this show, and some of you, I really appreciate your insights. Others of you, I'm just asking the questions about what's not already established, okay? That, that, that is what an analyst does. I, I'm an analyst, right? I, I make a mean cup of coffee. I write memos. I'm, that's what I do. I think about things and write about them and talk about them. And there are questions that need to be answered still about Las Vegas. That does not mean that I think that this was... Uh, you know, 
Al Qaeda operatives running a false flag involving, you know, crossing the border illegally. And I mean, I don't know. There's all these conspiracies out there. I'm I'm forwarding no conspiracy. I'm just looking for answers. Uh, and, I, and I think that it's OK to hold law enforcement accountable, if nothing else, for giving us straightforward answers and responses at this point. OK, we're not still in the midst of a tr- of of triage and and the shock of, a, you know, a, a tragedy within the first few hours, the first 48 hours, even it's, it's now we're in the investigation. What's happening? I'm allowed to ask those questions. I want to. And I hope you understand that it comes from a place of just wanting to know the truth. I'm not trying to undermine any of the investigators or any of the efforts, and I'm certainly not trying to forward any unsubstantiated conspiracy. What, what is the conspiracy? I've, I've been getting a little bit of heat on this. What's the conspiracy that I've forwarded? I haven't forwarded any conspiracy. I've just said they changed the timeline three times, which is strange, and I'd like to know what the exact timeline is now, and I'd also like to know if there's some other information we could get. I mean, even... Uh, Things like he's a professional he's a professional gambler, but he plays video poker. You know, hat tip Ann Coulter for this one. Uh, you don't make money if you play video poker. You lose money, guaranteed. So, anyway, there's there's, there's something up here. You know, someone's gonna write me. It's not guaranteed, Buck. Some, okay, well, overwhelmingly, you're gonna lose you're gonna lose money. So there are just questions there. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that later on in the program and. Oh, and healthcare, which maybe, maybe even health healthcare. Certainly, this hour, the executive order on subsidies, uh, which this is important. You're seeing the early steps, the first stages of a Trump administration bringing to light the failures of Obamacare, such that it will be easier down the line, I think, to repeal and replace this thing, or if not repeal it, to modify it enough that people can have more freedom, more free market, and we will have the mechanisms. This is really just a question of, you know, are, are we allowed to try and create a healthcare market where the same forces that have pushed us all to carry around a phone in our pocket that is more powerful than the computing that was available to all of the, all of the different parties involved in the Second World War? You know, do does that can we have that for healthcare too, or do I have to keep getting an MRI that looks like it was made in the Soviet Union in 1970 that cost me a thousand dollars, and it's the same one I get, to get ten years ago? It's the same one I'll be getting in ten years at the current rate. That's all. I mean, that's people want better health. Ever wants better healthcare? I, I, let's get away from the idiocy of there are some people who just don't want healthcare for the poor. There are some people who just think that healthcare should only be for for what? I mean for who? Healthcare is expensive for all of us and it's frustrating and paperwork intensive and annoying. So we'll talk more about healthcare and then third hour we'll just have some we'll, uh, we'll probably talk to you a bit about Weinstein and there's some interesting additional thoughts I think to throw in there. Um, I also am keeping an eye open for when there'll be even more Stories of Weinstein-like behavior from other people in Hollywood. I think now the mask has dropped. I think the rock has been pulled up. I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of people scurrying for cover right now because this is a. You want to talk about a culture? I mean, I, I've been meaning to say this all week. While we had in the latter part of Obama's administration, uh, we had official federal government involvement in. 
campuses that were and were promoting this notion that there's a rape culture. And that's a term that's widely used, a rape culture on college campuses using fraudulent statistics and fear-mongering and nonsense. Uh, but they went forward with that. And what we've found out is, one, that's not true. And I've had some of the people on this show who have crunched the numbers and looked at the problem honestly, and it's just not true. Uh, we've had the author of the campus rape myth for or the campus rape culture myth, a campus rape frenzy myth. There we go. I was looking for the official title. Um, uh, we've had him on the show before. But there is a rape culture in this country, and it's for very powerful people in Hollywood, it seems. They can get away with a lot. It's not just Weinstein. There are others, too. And I think that you have to also wonder um, if it extends into even more criminal and uh, even more insidious behavior in Hollywood. Um, I think we may find that is the case in the weeks and months ahead. But uh, And then just to have some fun at the end of the show, we will talk about Friday the 13th and maybe some... Uh, where does the superstition come from? I'll give you a, a deep dive into that. It's really interesting, actually. Some of you are like, Knights Templar. I'll get to that. I'll get to the whole Knights Templar. You know how I roll. I'm going to get to the Knights Templar. Come on. I'm not going to leave that out. So we will get there as well. Uh, I think the way to start then would be to get into Iran first and then talk about how these are two things that Trump will factor heavily in today. One is the Iran decertification which is in and of itself not massive or you know, ground or earth shattering. It's it's a change. And now we'll see. I watched the president's whole speech today live. He gave on Iran. I'll give you some thoughts on that, too. And then we'll talk about the executive order. The executive order that uh, just doesn't allow the federal government to make illegal payments to make Obamacare look better than it is. That's it. That's all. The federal government has been, without congressional appropriation, spending your money, and a court has said it's not okay. And Trump's saying, well, we're not going to keep doing that. And I actually saw the, the uh, Chiron, which is the banner at the bottom of the screen on, on TV. I didn't know this until I worked in TV. I'd never heard it called the Chiron before. Uh, but they, the banner at the bottom, they had you know Trump to cut health care for poor people or it was something just like that you know trump cutting off health care for poor people which is wrong because poor people and i know we're not supposed to say that low income individuals have uh access to medicaid which is just health care that you get for free it's not very good but it is free he's not touching medicaid he's just not allowing for the well i'm getting ahead of myself with this but he's not allowing for people to be told lies about obamacare anymore which is great Shouldn't we know what's really going on? The whole healthcare system that Obamacare set up and, and all the different parties and everything that's all the different interested organizations and groups, they are misleading the public, uh, at least a lot of them are, about what's real with Obamacare and what's not. So with, with that, I feel like I have uh, established, I feel like I have established where we are going on the show together. But maybe instead of rushing into the latest on the Iran speech right now, I can open up the lines and phones for a little action movie quote Friday. That's I'm pointing at Tyrone. I don't know. He's, he's, 
He's got a military. Sir, I don't know, sir. Movie. Quote. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Fridays. Military movie quote Fridays. Okay, apparently we're doing military movie quote Friday. I don't even know. I didn't even get the memo. Thank you, Tyrone. All right. Military quote Fridays. Let's, I mean, a lot of you are going to crush me in this, by the way, because I'm not, a, I know action and military movies, there's crossover, but like real military movies that are very much about, uh, some of you are going to gonna blow me out of the water on this one. It's like when people call in with Westerns. I'm like, that's my, that's the weak underbelly of my movie knowledge is Westerns. I just do not have what it takes when it comes to Westerns. Uh so there we go. Military movie quote Friday, if you've got that. Or you can throw me an action quote. We'll, 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 leave, it, we'll leave it broad. But Tyrone wants to see what you got on the military side of quotes. And we'll talk Iran deal. I'll give you some backstory on what's going on with Iran. I know this stuff pretty well, so I think that'll be worth your while. And I know it better than uh, a vast majority of the people going on TV to talk about it. I'll just say that in all honesty. I'm amazed at people who will go on TV like one, you know, one day they're an econ expert. Like the next day they're telling me about the Iran deal. Like, do you, so do you just, do you ever get past the first paragraph of what is written in these newspapers and you just regurgitate that? Or do you actually like read a book on this or work on it or something? I, I'm just asking questions. All right. Military action, <laughs> whatever it is. Military movie quote Friday, action movie quote Friday, Iran deal, then healthcare, then great stuff. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We are rocking. We are rolling. We will be right back. The factual record I have put forward, I am announcing today that we cannot and will not make this certification. We will not continue down a path whose predictable conclusion is more violence, more terror, and the very real threat of Iran's nuclear breakout. President Trump speaking today about how he is decertifying, not certifying, the Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which, before we even get into too many of the details here, is the entirety of Obama's foreign policy legacy in the Middle East on what they believe is the good side. I could give you, on the bad side, Syria, Libya, a whole bunch of stuff, but on the positive side of the ledger the obama administration points to the iran deal and they mortgaged if you will other mid-east policies so that they could get the iran deal done just to understand what their position was the obama administration didn't want to be too aggressive in syria because they were worried that it would upset Iran and they were trying to get a deal with Iran on nukes. You would think that the way to approach this would be actually the Obama administration should have been telling Iran, hey, not only do you need to do X, Y, and Z on nukes, you need to uh, stop extending your terror tentacles deeper and deeper into countries well outside your borders and causing uh, carnage and mayhem and destruction. You know, that's what you would think an administration would do. But no, what the Obama administration did on this issue was to say, oh, well, we, you know, we, we don't want to upset the Iranians on this. So, you know, we don't, let's, let's not do too much in Syria. Let's. They were looking for a foreign policy legacy for President Obama 
And foreign policy is one of the weakest parts of the Obama administration. The rise of ISIS, the disaster of the Syrian civil war, uh, the failed state of Libya, the intervention without a post-intervention plan. Uh, that, that did not work out so well, everybody, as we know. Um, the pivot to Asia, that was no pivot at all. It was really just strategic delay, which is just a fancy way of saying do nothing. And then there was leading from behind in Libya. And then for all of this, the overarching theory of the uh, modern-day Metternichs of the Obama administration, the brilliant strategists, right, the, the Talleyrands of the Obama era, uh, they had don't do stupid stuff, and they didn't say stuff, as their organizing principle. And even Hillary Clinton was willing to say that's not an organizing principle. That's just a... That's a nonsense statement from people who think they're much smarter than they are. And that was if you wanted to find the Obama administration's foreign policy, I think that's what it is. So Trump today, before I even get into too much of the details on Iran, was repudiating Obama's approach to both Iran and the Middle East. Trump was saying that the era of glorified delay is over. And the most important point that he had to make on this, I think, the one that really hits home, is to say that North Korea is a perfect example of what happens when the United States, when the people making the foreign policy of the United States and making national security decisions, when they believe that merely by pushing something off into the future, they are winning some victory, it's not true. In fact, they are just forestalling a more difficult showdown. That's it. There is no strategic brilliance in delay in and of itself. If you have something that you expect to do along the way that will avert that end state, fine. But with North Korea, what was that supposed to be? Sanctions are not going to do it. We know that. There was no way. Uh, Additional sanctions... China using all of its leverage, perhaps now we're getting to a place where maybe something will change. But delay on North Korea for eight years. Keep in mind, they only tested their first nuke in 2006. So while, yes, as I have said, North Korea is a problem that is really it's a uh, a mutant state that has somehow survived well past the Cold War. And it is a a botched product of the Cold War. But North Korea didn't go nuclear until 2006. So for eight of the 11 years or, you know, eight of the of the 10 years or so that North Korea has been a nuclear state, the Obama administration was calling the shots and they weren't doing a good job. They left it for a future administration to handle. And so what Trump said today on Iran is we're not going to pull a North Korea with Iran. We're not going to wait until the problem is not just unavoidable, but intractable impossible. We will take action now. And let's look at what that will be on Iran after the break. Well, there isn't any real easy way to say this, so uh, so I'll just say it. Your brothers are dead. I mean, that's a quote from Sid. First of all, that's a very like, actually, that's, that, that scene turns out to be funny. It sounds very Saving Private Ryan. But do you throw Saving Private Ryan quotes at me? I've seen that movie a thousand times. Come on. I mean, I, I could do a one-man show of Saving Private Ryan and probably even do, like, the different sound effects myself, like pew, 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 p
You know, I, I've seen that movie a million times, a million times. It's a phenomenal, a phenomenal movie, and let me say, should have won the Best Picture Oscar. And you know what did win instead? A little uh, movie tribute for all of you listening. Shakespeare in Love. And you know who wrote the check for Shakespeare in Love and got all that together? Harvey Weinstein. Freedom lost that day, my friends. Western civilization. We, we, we deserved an Oscar for Saving Private Ryan. It should not have been, you know, should not have been a, a Weinstein project before we knew anything about Weinstein stuff. I'm just saying, it was just not as good. Shakespeare in Love. Come on. Come on. It was okay. I'm also not a, I'm just not a Gwyneth Paltrow, not a Gwyneth Paltrow fan for, for whatever reason. Uh, a couple of things um, to note here. One is, uh, well, eh, I'll save that for later when we get into the Weinstein thing. Um, let's first take, we've got a lot of people want to call in and talk about some things. And it's Friday, so I'd like to do that. I will get back to a discussion of the Iran deal. and the. We, we talk about Iran a fair amount on the show, so a lot of you listen, you know. But I, I'll give you some of the background of why I think it's important. And, and we will move on to healthcare as well. We also have an expert from, uh, what is he, from Brookings, I think? From one of the things. Oh, Heritage, not Brookings. Brookings, gosh. All of a sudden, we're like Bernie Sanders supporters here. No, from the Heritage Foundation. We'll have him calling in later, and uh, he'll give you some some of the of the so what on the Iran deal. But I got a lot of lines lit. I want to take some calls. Clanton in Alabama listening on WBUV. Clanton, welcome. How you doing, Buck? I'm good, sir. Y'all doing okay today? We are. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for listening. Very good. I got a quote for you. Let's do it. Uh Gee, they really creamed us. Oh, I don't know. Hit the buzz. What is that? It's uh, Tom Selleck in Midway. Oh. See, they're going to get me on these military. I haven't even, I haven't even seen it. I don't even know that was a movie. I'm not even going to lie. Although I do you like Tom Selleck and his uh, mustache. Got, Tom Selleck's mustache to, versus uh, Ambassador Bolton's mustache. That's a, that's a close one. That's like the Hulk versus the Thing. Absolutely. You got to watch Midway, the best uh, military movie ever. Really? Okay, Clint- okay yeah. Clinton. I'll, I will check it out. Thank you so much, Man and Shields High. Uh, the Battle of Midway, uh, Turning Point in the Pacific Theater. In the top five, most imp- in most lists that I read from the historian, well, at least the historians that are on the blogs, which is probably not that many of them, uh, but the top five naval battles of all time tend to be Salamis, Midway, uh, Lepanto, uh, Actium, and then there's always a fifth one that I cannot remember. I think it has to do with like China and somebody else. I forget. But those are the biggest. Those are the most important naval battles, according to historians of you know naval surface warfare. Uh, that's what I'm. T- I'm just. I'm just. Bad. Oh no. I'm sorry. Tra- uh, Trafalgar. That's the one. There's another one that sometimes makes the lists that has to do with. Uh, with China, and I don't. I have no idea what the battle is because you know, I don't know that stuff as well. But yeah, so there we have it. Jeremy in New Mexico, welcome to the Freedom Hut, sir. Hey, how you doing, Buck? I'm good. I, I agree with you about uh, Saving Private Ryan. They should have uh, won the the award. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a top ten uh, military movie all time. I think very strong case for top five. Some people would say number one, and I, I'm not going to say that that's not a case you could make, you know? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, I got, I got a military movie quote for you. Yes, sir. 
it's a, it's a, it's a classic. Killing generals could get to be a habit with me. Man, I, I hit the button. I knew I was going to, I'm going to get lit up here, Tyrone. What do we got? <laughs> I was like, do you need to phone a friend or uh Yeah, I wish. Audience? I'm looking, I'm looking at Tyrone and Amy in the hut here to give me some, some signals or something, but we got nothing. <laughs> It's a dirty dozen. It's the it, during the final scene when they're when they're in the hospital and he's being presented with the award. Oh, okay. All right. Is that <laughs> one of your favorites? Classic. Is that should that go on the list with Midway? That's one of those ones that if I'm flipping through the TV channels and I come upon it, I'll, I'll get sucked into watching it no matter where it's at in the movie. It's one of those war movies that just sucks you in. Okay. All right, man. I'll check it out. I did. Uh, Shields High. Thank you for calling in, Jeremy. I did watch. I've seen it so many times. Uh, Black Hawk Down was on TV earlier in the week. And a very, very good movie. I just don't understand why it had to be full of British actors, though. That's my only beef with it. They're all... If you ever go, like, a behind-the-scenes, they're like, oh, I love playing all those American army rangers. It was just fantastic. I have so much respect for the American army rangers. I'm like, how about we get some Americans to play the army? I mean, you know? Am I being a little xenophobic about the Brits here? I feel like that's completely fair. Like, oh, yes, I've... I have studied extensively the Delta Force, and they're phenomenal warriors. It's like, yeah, they are, but we got a lot of Americans who could play Delta Force, right? You you go, you watch that movie, and you see all these guys. The only one that's American who's like a big character is Josh Hartnett. The rest of them are British. Oh, and Tom Sizemore, but the rest of them are British, pretty much, of the uh, guys that are out there in combat. Uh, okay, um, we have now Joe in Illinois listening on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, Joe. Shields high, Buck. Shields high, Joe. Good to hear from you. Yeah, you too. Uh, you know, this is the seventh state that I've called you from. Maybe I should see if I can call you from every state in the union. Oh, I, I pre- the hut appreciates your dedication. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. You've earned every bit of it. You've earned every bit of it. So um, I wanted to make a history suggestion for the uh, October 31st uh, coming up. And I also have a little bit of a... Uh, a movie chat. Uh, do we have how much time do we have? I mean, you, you go ahead, man. We're, we're hanging. It's Friday, you know. Okay, kick, so the, kick, the, kicking the, the back and relaxing. Okay. The history suggestion is that this October thirty first, and I know that you're Catholic, so this might be a bit of heresy for you. But this October thirty first is the five hundredth anniversary of Martin Luther posting the ninety five theses on the door. Huh. And. Yeah, uh, Glenn interviewed Eric Metaxis on Monday morning, and Eric gave a very good uh, praises on his new book that is about that event. And he came at it uh, from uh, a non-interested perspective. But I, he said a lot of things. That would be a good way for you to get an inter- introduction to it, just to listen to that uh, interview with uh, with Eric. He said a lot of things that I've been saying for a number of years now, but I think that, you know, the act of posting, putting a, a piece of paper on a church door to have that positive, great of an impact uh, in Western civilization. I think that without that event and without the Reformation, that America would be a very different place, very, very different place than it is today, and not for the better. Um, so anyway, you know, I think you should give that a few minutes. Uh, first, check out the interview with Eric uh, from Monday on Glenn's program. And then... Uh, this will probably be an even more heretical uh, statement for me to make, and it's about saving Private Ryan. And this is the first thing I've ever had to disagree with you about. <gasps> the, I, I, yeah, I know. I would say that 
I thought that Saving Private Ryan was great filmmaking, but not a great film. And here's why. <laughs> Ty- Tyrone just buzzed you. I'm just, I'm just putting that out. Tyrone Absolutely. just buzzed you. Go ahead. Absolutely. We've got to get a gong noise here's, too, the Tyrone. Reason is, yeah. The reason is my father fought in the Pacific Theater and my uncle fought in Europe. And in the Battle of the Ardennes, my uncle, during the Battle of the Bulge, took out a German machine gun nest. So these were, you know, real soldiers. They were really... Uh, he took a mortar when he, when he did that. And, uh, you know, I just thought that the non-combat scenes, the scenes, those soldiers were not like, like my dad and my uncle. And I know other world war two vets as well. You know, when I watched the, the series band of brothers, you know, those guys, I could see saying that, yeah, I think my dad and my uncle were probably exactly like that when they were in there, but the non-combat scenes, all the, all the dialogue and everything. It just, yeah, it was a, it was a little. It ho- I mean, it's a little Hollywood, right? I mean, I, I figure it would be, and it's it's contemporary, and they're going to try to make it appeal to audiences. Well, see, that's the thing. That's the thing. I thought that they put 21st century men into a 1945 picture, and I I, I don't think they did a, that. Spielberg did a good job on that. I know heresy. That's all right. Hey, but, man, Harry, look, you're you're, you're tacking your 95 theses up against the Freedom Hut right now, and that's okay. Maybe I am, and I have one last thing. Oh, to Joe, add Joe, to okay, about. Joe, we got to speed this up. We got we got every line lit, but go ahead. Okay, you really you really need to watch the Outlaw Josie Wales. You got dinged twice on dying ain't much of a living boy. So you got dinged on that twice. Okay, Tyrone's it's giving you a thumbs. He's giving cool. you a thumbs up on that one. So apparently, apparently, you are correct on that, Joe. Shield time, my friend, and have a great weekend. Thank you, Chris in North Carolina, WPTI. Hey, Buck. I just wanted to call in because you had spoken earlier about wanting a better acronym for the Iran plan. Yeah. And I was thinking, why don't we name it something the Obama administration never did? Think. Teammates hindering Iranian nuclear killing. Not bad. I mean, I think we could. uh, Yep, there we go. He gets one. Well done. I'll take it. I thought it was a lot better than whatever it was they came up with that I can't even remember off the top of my head. And it differentiates us from Dude, the the, ac- the acronym matters. You know, the acronym matters. So yes, there sir. you have it. Chris, Shield Time, man. Thank you for calling up from North Carolina. We've got a lot of lines. I love it. We all get to chat on Friday. It's fun. We, we have an expert joining on. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I know a lot about the Iran stuff, too. But we've got another expert joining in to give his opinion in a little bit. So we'll, you'll get plenty of what Trump's Iran statements today mean or don't mean. And. Uh, you know, what you need to know about it, and, and then some probably. And then some of uh, his comments from the, uh, what was the, it was the, he spoke at the, uh, I know before him the Family Research Council spoke. It was the Family Research Council, was that the event? I forget. We'll, we'll, we'll check that out on the break. Uh, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Some lines lit, we could take some more. And have guests joining the next hour. Lots to talk about. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this break. That no bastard ever won war by dying for his country. Oh, that's Patton. I mean, that's amazing. Tyrone's trying to trip me up here with some... That's one of the greatest openings to any movie of all time, really. That's amazing. Patton was great. Uh, Patton with his... uh, Was it two pearl-handled revolvers that he carried around or just one? Two, I think. Yeah, I think he had two pearl-handled revolvers because, you know, that's that's what you want on the battlefield of World War II. Anyway, Mike in North Carolina, WPTI. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Buck? I'm good. 
Hey, first I wanted to uh, thank you for reading my comment on uh, Teen Book Speaks last week. And, you know, I had a comment about this Weinstein situation. Uh, I know there's been a, a lot of finger-wagging at the people who supposedly knew about this and didn't say anything. But I feel like they're catching a, a lot of flack for something that really isn't their place to do. If the victim's not going to report it, it's not any other person's place to bring this to light and publicly out them if they don't want it public. When I was in the military, uh, sexual assault victims have an option called... Uh, they have an option to report an assault where it doesn't go public and doesn't get reported to their command and they can still get the counseling and the medical treatment that they need without it being a big thing, without an investigation. And, you know, I feel like anyone who did know that wasn't a victim, it just isn't their place to bring it to the attention of the public. Well, it wouldn't hold on a second though, Mike. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but it, we're not talking about necessarily someone saying, Hey, Harvey Weinstein did X to this, you know, to Y person, but this was such a continuous problem and so uh, so premeditated and frequent that someone along the way could have been like, hey, Harvey Weinstein's doing this stuff, and that would have opened the floodgates. Do you see what I'm saying? Somebody could have just said that he was doing it. I mean, it, and when you look into the into the backstories here, he was paying out settlements. I mean, this was known. There was, in his contract for the Weinstein Group, or whatever it's called, Weinstein Incorporated, there was a clause about if Harvey Weinstein sexually harasses you. That was in contracts for people who worked there. Because he was such a harasser. Oh, don't don't get me wrong. I'm in no way defending Weinstein. Oh no no, I, I know I'm you're not. not. I, I and I'm not trying to say you are, Mike. I'm just saying. And you know, I'm I'm. That you you could raise it without. You could raise it without. I'm sorry. We're talking over each other. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I, certainly, over you know the decades that it went on, it could have been brought up. I just think they're catching too much flack for it. You know, over something that I think mm. isn't isn't there. That's what I think. Oh no! Hey, look, you're you're allowed to you're allowed to think whatever you want to think about this, and I'm and I'm not here to tell you you're you're wrong. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, it depends. We're speaking in very general terms, but you know, somebody like, you know, Meryl Streep coming out and saying I had no idea that's just not credible to me, based on everything we know, sure. right? And and now, I mean, sure. I've played even on the show some of the. It was an open secret in Hollywood, meaning people knew this, and no one wanted to say anything about it. And Hollywood has been a big uh, proponent of. The war on women that Republicans are waging. Uh, they've made a lot of fun of Fox News for what went on there. They've done a lot of things that were virtue signaling on the issue specifically of sexual harassment. And so the fact that one of the five most powerful people in Hollywood was not just a sexual harasser, but a sexual predator, you know, somebody should have said something. Uh, I think that's the. Oh, it's, it's absolutely appalling and a disgrace. But I think what we aren't seeing here is victims trying to come forward and the story being buried i think that would be a whole new level and if the victims themselves aren't going to advocate for themselves no i mean we had a woman who went to the police my friend and and wore the wire i mean people were trying to come forward but it's one thing you know part of the problem here was that this wasn't a normal circumstance because when they would try to come forward weinstein would have his lawyers threaten to sue them you know, do, is, is it in once you've mm-hmm. been sexually assaulted by somebody, do you also want to have them bankrupt you? I mean, that, you know, th- that was the choice that some of these and, and never work again, by the way. That was the choice that some of them were facing. So, you know, I, I th- this is different than normal or, or I shouldn't say normal. This is different than standard workplace sexual harassment or workplace. You're absolutely right. 
Okay, well, we're, right. we're talking about this a lot. I, I hear your point, Mike. I hear your point, but I, I got I to gotta okay. move on, and I thank you very much for calling in. Uh, Justin in Syracuse in the iHeart app. What's up, Justin? Oh, man. Hey, Buck, what's up? Hey, man, you're, right, on, man. you're on radio. People listen to you across the country. What's going on? All right, I kind of got two things. First movie quote for you. Are you ready? Bring a it. Bit of a long one. A long one. Okay, well, hopefully not too long, because you only got about a minute, but go ahead. All right, I'll do it fast. I put no stock in religion. By the word religion, that's in the lunacy of fanatics of every denomination, be called the will of God. Holiness is in right action, and courage on behalf of those who cannot defend themselves. Kingdom of Heaven, the Knights of St. John. All right, yeah, all right. That's right. God desires is here in the head, and here in the heart, and what you decide to do every day, you will be a good man or not. And yeah. secondly, as a uh, 11 Bravo U.S. Army um Really curious about Vegas, man. I heard a lot of machine guns in my life. I fired a lot of them from the C-49 to the Deuce. And that sounded like automatic fire to me, not a, not a freaking bump stock. You thought it was like a 240 Gulf up there? No, I'm not saying it was a 240. Oh, I thought that's, I thought that's what, what you just but, said. I was like, that would be a whole that, other I universe. a lot of automatic guns. And that, that was very sustained and, uh, and, and cyclic. I mean, it was... It, it was it was almost too perfect. It was too perfect to be a bump, bump stock. stock. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I mean, look, I've got all this, all these, mil, all these mill folks calling in with expertise in automatic weapons, and they're all, I, you know, I, these guys know more about autos than I do by a lot. So we'll be right back, team. As we have seen in North Korea, the longer we ignore a threat, the worse that threat becomes. It is why we are determined that the world's leading sponsor of terrorism will never obtain nuclear weapons. Earlier today, talking about his uh, decertification of the Iran deal, uh, which just means now that it goes to the Congress, which is a law which was already passed, that this is the way this is all supposed to go. This is not surprising, really. Um, And... It allows the administration some additional latitude to try and get the uh, mullahs to fall in line on issues that they have been able to skate by so far because of gaps in the deal that the Obama administration left in place. So you will, if you've been uh, popping on uh, one at least one cable news channel, have probably heard people talk about how There are not inspections of military sites, for example, in Iran as part of the deal. Well, you can do all kinds of things at military sites, including nuclear research and nuclear production. Uh, There are uh, other limitations on this deal, including how it does not uh, limit or uh, certainly doesn't eliminate and does not properly limit Iran's ability to develop ballistic missiles. So it can build the missiles that it would need for a uh, it can build the missiles that it would need for a nuclear strike in the future. Right. If it wants to get an ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile, and then put a, a nuclear warhead on that, it can work on those missiles under the current framework of the deal. It also does not have to eliminate all of its current nuclear infrastructure. It just has to mothball some of it. And when the deal sunsets. That's it. Then there's no more deal. And then Iran will have had access to international markets for a long time. It will be a much wealthier 
state that is more integrated into the international community, which means you're never going to get painful sanctions and suited back on the country. The Europeans are going to be like, well, we're making too much money selling the Iranian stuff and the Russians and the Chinese. For America, this is an issue of trying to get ahead of the problem before it's too late. And that is a key difference here with the way that the Obama administration viewed the problem. President Trump was saying this is a one-sided deal. It was a one-sided deal. Clip seven, please, sir, if you would. This deal is known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA. As I have said many times, the Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into. The same mindset that produced this deal is responsible for years of terrible trade deals that have sacrificed so many millions of jobs in our country to the benefit of other countries. Trump is just saying, look, the Obama administration didn't know how to negotiate on any major issue. And I I think that's true on the international stage, I should note. They didn't show any leadership or negotiating ability on dealing with Syria. They didn't show any leadership or negotiating ability in dealing with China. Just go down the list. In fact, I've often argued in the past that every hot spot in the world, every place where we have either an economic or national security conflict that's either underway or looming, the Obama administration made things worse. Things were worse in Iraq. They were worse in Afghanistan. They were worse in the South China Sea. They were worse in North Africa and Libya. They were worse in Nigeria and Sub-Saharan. And some, I could go down the list, on and on and on. So Trump is saying no more of that. Look, it's too early to assess fairly one way or the other what Trump's foreign policy legacy would be. But I think his instincts are correct. And I think that he's at least correcting some of the wrong thinking that was defining the way that his predecessor approached international relations for eight years. So it's certainly a good start. It's moving in the right direction. And he didn't end the Iran deal. He is just allowing for there to be modifications to the Iran deal to contain now or to handle issues and areas that were left out of it or places that were insufficient. And this notion of the Iranians violating the spirit of the deal, I mean, that couldn't be any more clear. We see this all the time. The Iranians are still supporting Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, give support to al-Qaeda, they give support to the Taliban. The, The Iranians are the single largest state sponsor of terror in the world still. And they have shown no willingness to pull back from that. They are involved in the Syrian civil war. They're involved in the Yemeni civil war. They're pushing their interests and their hand in Iraq all the time and making that a more combustible situation. They are helping Hezbollah line up for the next military conflict between Hezbollah in Lebanon and Israel. I mean, there's or, or Hamas and Israel. I mean, there's just no end to the uh, ways that Iran is trying to stick its thumb in our eye. And the response to the Obama administration was, let's do a deal that we won't say no to because we'll give them everything that they really need and demand no painful concessions whatsoever in the process and really just to have a deal. And I should note that it gives the Iranians from the perspective of the international community, whether Israel would 
in, in the end care about this or not if it felt its survival was threatened, but it gives the international community a sense that, or the Iranians a sense that the international community would never allow for there to be any strike on Iranian reactors. So it's it's a get-out-of-jail-free card for the Iranian nuclear program for about 10 years, and Trump is saying, that, look, if there aren't some adjustments made to this, if this isn't better, and if the Congress does not take the appropriate action here, well, then that's on the Congress, our Congress. He's saying that at some point in the future, he may terminate the deal. The deal allows Iran to continue developing certain elements of its nuclear program. And importantly, in just a few years, as key restrictions disappear, Iran can sprint towards a rapid nuclear weapons breakout. In other words... We got weak inspections in exchange for no more than a purely short-term and temporary delay in Iran's path to nuclear weapons. What is the purpose of a deal that, at best, only delays Iran's nuclear capability for a short period of time? That soundbite is a pretty good summary of the argument against the JCPOA. That's it. Why are we beholden? To, why are we beholden to a deal that the previous administration was desperate for that does not end Iran's nuclear program and the threat of us having to square off with a nuclear Iran in the future? What's the point? Well, the point is that it makes Obama look like a statesman on the global stage, and and the Democrats can take a victory lap on how they've avoided a war that wasn't about to happen, but that they claim was the only alternative to this crappy deal. So, you know, Trump, uh, good Trump today. Some good stuff from Trump today on this. I uh, think he's making the right moves. All right, we got lots of lines still lit. I wanted to take more calls. So uh, 844-900-BUCK. As we take calls, there'll be spots opening up. I can see folks want to chat today, and I really enjoy that. So let's do it. We will take some calls and then talk about the latest on Las Vegas, uh, the investigation into the mass shooting there, and then... Health, maybe a little bit on the health care executive order today and what that means, because liberals are freaking out and saying that it's because Republicans want old people to die and poor people to die. And no, just no on that. And then I'll get into why later. So stay with me. Why is your footlocker unlocked? Sir, I don't know, sir. Private pile, if there is one thing in this world that I hate, it is an unlocked footlocker. You know that, don't you? Sir, yes, sir. Full Metal Jacket, obviously. Great. I think the first part of that movie is is pretty incredible. And then uh, the second part of it, I'm I'm not as I'm not as uh, much a fan of. But uh, what was it? Lee Ermey is that guy's name, right? It's just an iconic role for Lee Ermey in Full Metal Jacket, as we are in the midst as well of of military movie quote Friday. He's a great shooter in real life. Really? Oh wow! I did not know that. I, I, I was unaware of that. Thank you, Tyrone. Uh, let's get some calls here. Brent in New Mexico listening on the iHeart app. Hey, Brent. Hey, Buck. Shields high, man. Shields high. No, I'd, I'd heard you uh, talk about a book that you recommended to everybody, and I read it. was called Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Oh, it's an awesome a book. While back. It was a very good book. I really enjoyed it. And the reason I thought of it to call you back on it was... There's a book by a guy named Gary Jennings, and it's called Aztec, and it's written like very, very similarly to the same way. 
and I just wanted you to check that out. I mean, if you enjoyed that, you'll really dig this, and it's kind of a, a lost gem. I mean, you'd really you'd really enjoy it. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'm, I'm writing it down right now, and you know, I, I, Gates of Fire by Pressman is the best uh, the best action novel that I've read in five or ten years. It's that good. Oh, it's historical fiction. Like you take something out of it, but you get a little fiction in there, you know, to keep it, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, it, bit, but it's but. it's awesome. And if you like the movie Three Hundred, and you kind of want a, a companion written, you know, product to go along with it, I think that Pressman's Gates of Fire does a really good job with that. So, uh, uh, anything else going on in your in, uh, in in Brent's world? Or, well, I had an action movie quote, but uh, in light of everything that's been going on, I don't know. I'll go for it anyway. But uh, anyway, the, it goes like this. I need your help. I can't tell you what we're going to do. I can't tell you why we're going to do it, but we're going to hurt some people. And then his friend replies, well, whose car are we taking? Um, ben Affleck in uh, that movie, the, the Town? Yeah, that's right. Damn. I know. Amy just Amy just smiled at that. She's like, wow, Buck's really good at this game. That's right. That's right. All right, Brent, thank you very much for yeah. calling in, man. Appreciate it. Uh, Rob in Ohio on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, Rob. Hi, Buck. How are you doing? I'm good. If you're on speaker, come to the phone because we can't hear you that well. I'm sorry. I'm on my head. My phone's charging. Can you hear me better now? There we go. Okay. I was wondering, this isn't so much of a battle. I, um, I wanted to reply. I got two quick things. Um, when you're talking about um, the naval engagement with the uh, Chinese uh, Navy. Uh, see if this rattles your memory. Could you be talking about when was it the 13th, maybe the 14th century, the Chinese launched an armada to um, invade Japan, and then a massive storm blew up partway through the channel and uh, pretty much sank all the Chinese. Well, ships. it wasn't really the Chinese. It was it was the Mongols. It was the Khanate at the time, and they tried to invade. They tried to invade Japan. And the, the storm that uh, destroyed the invading Mongol fleet is the original kamikaze or divine wind. Yeah, no, it wasn't that yeah, because that wasn't a battle. That was just a an important moment in history where the <laughs> that was weather, not a battle, right? So, yeah, that's why I said I would. Um, okay, and the second thing, real quick, um, you were talking about um, Patton earlier, briefly, and you mentioned he carried two pearl-handled revolvers. I may be incorrect, but I thought he carried pearl-handled uh, 32s in the style of, like, the 1911. Um, you may, that may very well be, a, I will not uh, challenge that. I don't know. Sure, sure, maybe maybe that is correct. I don't know. <laughs> I just knew that he carried two pearl-handled sidearms. How about that? Okay, that works for me. All right, Rob. Shield tie, man. Thank you. See? You, when you, with, with, hey, Ty and Amy, with this audience, the fire, with firearms... You better be on point. <laughs> there, there is no room for error when it comes to descriptions of accounts of anything having to do with uh, with firearms. You better you better get it right. Uh, let's take Pat in Alabama on WVAK. Hey, Pat. Hi, Buck. Hi. How are you? Um, very well, thank you. Thank you for calling. But I, I don't have the uh, listen. The greatest naval battle movie of all time is in harm's way with John Wayne and every other great actor that there ever was. Oh, okay. What, 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 is it Lady Gulf? What's the battle that it uh, depicts? It was, uh, 
It was all of them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because they had started off with, uh, it was uh, D-Day. Oh, it's a, I was thinking Pacific Theater. Okay, this is this is a European theater. Both of them. Oh. Oh, it's yes, all... Yes, it was the greatest movie of all time. It had every, <laughs> okay. every actor from the 30s to the 70s, you uh, know? All right. I, I, in Harm's also, Way. Another great movie. Oh, go ahead. Was the was a Marine Corps movie with Charlton Heston, and it was Fifty Five Days at Peking about the Boxer Rebellion. Ty's giving you a thumbs up on that one, so okay, I, I'll have to check that. We'll add this to the list. I got to make a Freedom Hut list of all the movies that we have to watch in here. We're gonna we're gonna do it's this is our so homework, great. guys. And those are the kind that when you when you come across them in the middle of the night, that's when you want to watch the rest of it. All right. Well, Pat, thank you so much for calling in from Alabama. I appreciate it. Well, uh, Lady Gulf was, in terms of sheer uh, ship tonnage and ships involved, I think Leyte Gulf may have been the biggest naval engagement of the Second World War. Uh, that was October of 1944, October 23rd. But Midway is considered the most important battle because it turned the tide of war against the Japanese, and, and it, was, it was so pivotal in a military action but I think Leyte Gulf was actually the biggest in terms of ships involved in a uh, Second World War Pacific Theater naval engagement. Um, and, yeah. So so there is that, my friends. Oh, speaking of naval engagements, by the way, I would be remiss if I did not wish a uh, wholehearted and warm happy birthday to the United States Navy. October 13th, 1775, is the birthday of the U.S. Navy, and uh, we, should, we celebrate it today. 242 years of keeping, a, keeping the seas safe and kicking the butts of anybody who decided to try and roll their ships up and uh, give us a problem. So uh, thank you, Navy, for all that you do, and, and a happy birthday to you. Uh, so that's it. The, the uh, United States Navy origin, originated 242 years ago as the Continental Navy. And we they saw some action in the Revolutionary War, but it was then later on that they became famous throughout the ages for the action against the Barbary states and the Barbary Wars. Should be noted, because they don't tell kids this in school, and I don't know. I never learned this in school. I've had to read multiple books on it on my own after uh, graduating from school. But we had to keep a Navy going because there were concerns. A Navy was incredibly expensive uh, at the time of the beginning of the 19th century, I mean, the very end of the 18th century. Uh, it was like 1800 we're basically talking about here. Navy was wildly expensive to maintain for an early stage country like, like uh, America. And they had to uh, finally commission a Navy and they six frigates, which is a book by Ian Toll is very good on on this. It gives you the whole story. And uh, they had to put together some ships and send them over into the Mediterranean and uh, go kick some Barbary pirate butt because they kept seizing our people and putting them into slavery. The. White slave trade at the hands of the North African pirates, previously known as the North African Corsairs, not taught in school. Only only a few million white Europeans and Americans uh, taken in slavery by the Muslim pirates of North Africa over the century. Only a few million. Somehow that just gets like it never happened. 
It was happening a lot, actually, but I digress. Um, oh, wait. I'm going to get into more calls, but we uh, we have to go into a break here for a second. I think we're going to talk uh, Vegas Vegas investigation update coming up here in a couple minutes, and then maybe we'll uh, finish up with some calls and third hour, a little bit of Weinstein talk, some Friday the 13th history, some Team Buck Speaks. Basically, it's going to be an amazing radio show, so... If you've stayed with me to this point, I mean, you got to finish this thing out, right? Uh, if you want to call in, we've got a spot or two open right now. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. Let's talk about the latest on the effort to get to the very bottom of everything from that Las Vegas mass shooting coming up here. All right, team, you have been heard on this issue. I'm sorry. This is what happens when I make some pompous statement at the start of the show about how I'm right like almost all the time. Then I just start stumbling on things like, for example... Uh, they were not pearl-handled revolvers that Patton had. They were ivory-handled revolver or, ooh, revolvers. They were, according to the interwebs here, 45 long Colt single-action army revolvers with engraved ivory grips. I will give myself a code red later. Apologies, everyone. I should have gotten that one right. I know that people are like, I'm still I'm still going to get angry emails about this one. Um, all right. But we're going to talk about something else here, something uh, serious that we have to get into for a few moments. Uh, we've got Lauren Southern on the line. She has an exclusive report on the Vegas shooter that she published on Big League Politics. She wants to talk to us about uh, Lauren. Great to hear from you again. Hi, Buck. How's it going? It's good. Thank you so much. OK, well, what can you tell us about? Vegas, uh, the Vegas shooter investigation that we don't already know. Okay, so recently I had an employee from Airbnb reach out to me saying they all got a letter at the Airbnb head offices, at least those with back-end information, that they were ghosting the account of Stephen Paddock. Now, ghosting is an internal term that is means basically deleting it, wiping the account for one reason or another, and not to mention it, not to talk about it, and basically not to look at the account. But, of course, uh, he decided to... Sorry, one minute. (laughs) He decided to take a look at... Sorry, I just needed to check something. He decided to take a look at the account, and it turns out there are a lot of things that do not make sense with this man's account. First of all all of the Airbnbs he was renting, they were up to $1,000, I believe, from the $600 to $1,000. He'd rent the entire house, and every person would give him the exact same review. And that review would be, it's like he never stayed here. They never saw him once. He would rent all these properties, and he just made his account in August, and he'd rent all these properties, and he'd never show up, despite dropping thousands of dollars on them. Another really, really strange anomaly, which is the reason this employee contacted me, was he kept getting put in and out of something called airlock. Airlock is something that an individual is put into when there is an anomaly with their account, whether it be an issue with identifying who they are, they haven't given enough ID, maybe they think there's criminal activity going on, whatever it may be, when your account is put into airlock, You can't access it. You can't rent places. You have to call into Airbnb to get it taken out of Airlock. He he never called in. He never called in once. And yet within the first two weeks of having his account, he was repeatedly put in and out of this Airlock mode. And the Airbnb employee I spoke to said 
it didn't make any sense. He's never seen anything like it before in his entire life. There had to be someone, I don't, I don't know, maybe internally taking him in and out of airlock for some strange reason, but a lot of the information coming out uh, from Airbnb doesn't make sense. And I put out all the screenshots. I put out all of the information about this. And for some reason, the mainstream media is not touching it. Huh. Do you even have a, a, a working theory as to what all this is about? I mean, I, I know you don't know, but what could it even be about? I, I'm not. So he's renting. So you're saying that Paddock had an account on Airbnb, which for those listening is just a way of renting private homes online, right? You can rent somebody's room. You can rent their house. And you're saying he had an account and was engaged in a lot of rental of different Airbnb properties in Las Vegas, but they didn't even think he was necessarily showing up. And then Airbnb just deleted his account. Is this just because Airbnb doesn't want a lot of questions and people, you know, bothering them about Paddock without having their PR team handling this? I mean, what's the what's the so what do you think of all this? Well, I mean, there certainly could be uh, an, a perfectly reasonable explanation from Airbnb's end, but it doesn't seem like they want to give it or talk about it at all. There's a lot of shadowy stuff here. The other strange anomaly that I forgot to mention in the first half was the places he was renting, he had them overlapping. So he had two rentals from September 17th to the 22nd and one on the 19th through the 22nd which means he had for multiple nights control of two homes. Who were these for? Were these for multiple people? Why was he renting them? Why are the police not talking about this? They mentioned three Airbnbs, but they didn't mention that fourth overlapping Airbnb uh, when they did the press conference. So honestly, like I, I am trying to string together theories here. I am looking online and trying to put together all of the different information coming out, but it, seems like we are missing a lot of pieces to this puzzle and i almost i I would wouldn't feel comfortable putting out any predictions at this point my job right now is hopefully to just put out as much information as i can into the public and have them piece it together we're we're speaking to lauren southern who is a lauren how do you how would you self-describe you're a a pundit writer analyst Any of those things. There we go. Commentator, YouTuber. There we go. Commentator, YouTuber. She's, she's Lauren Southern. You guys all know her. Uh, so <laughs> what what can you tell us about? I know that you don't have, you were just telling us about your exclusive report on this Airbnb situation, which I agree. There's some interesting questions there that should be answered. But the Las Vegas security guard, uh, Jesus Campos, he was supposed to do interviews last night. He was scheduled for Hannity show, right? He was supposed to do Hannity show. And, and he just yeah. like went, he just went missing is my understanding. Is that right? Yeah, he went missing, like, literally minutes before. Hannity said he canceled. He had tons of other interviews prepared. I was waiting for that interview. I was super excited to see it, and he's just gone. They've placed a security guard outside his house and said no press allowed on the property, and there are rumors right now saying that his whole family has a gag order. Now, that could be because of some mysterious agenda going on behind closed doors that we don't know about that. But it could also be because he also interacted with the shooter and there's an active investigation going on, so they don't want that all to be public quite yet. Seems strange. By the way, the third timeline change today came from the Las Vegas uh, sheriff, Joseph Lombardo, who was saying that the initial timeline was correct. So what happened there? Oh, my goodness. I can't keep up with him. I, he didn't even allow questions today at the press conference. 
He allowed no questions. It's it's all really up in the air. And unfortunately, I think it's a very unfortunate case that uh, as much as Weinstein's actions are horrific and terrible, it's kind of overshadowing a lot of people's curiosity and investigation into what went down in Las Vegas because we do not have all the answers answers yet. The timeline keeps changing. Jesus has gone missing. What is this Airbnb stuff? There are just way too many things up in the air, and I do not believe that the police force, while they may be doing a good job in other realms, they are not doing a great job in communication. What do you think, Lauren, are are the most important? I mean, right now, if if I could get you answers to any one or two questions on the on the Las Vegas mass shooting that, that have obviously not been answered yet, what would they what would those questions be? They have to know a motive. They have to know some sort of motive. Okay. I mean, I think that's one of the the biggest ones that I'd be curious about, but also the fact that they can't get that timeline straight. Honestly, there's a million questions I could ask if I were at that press conference, but it's it's a so many. It's at the point where I'm having to bite my tongue to not get into the conspiracy realm of things. And why haven't we seen? Yeah, and people keep saying that. You know, I, I get angry emails from people say that. You know, why are you? Are you pushing a conspiracy? I haven't pushed any conspiracy. I just sit around. I'm like, well, what about this? Or I'm asking a question about something that the police say they're trying to figure out and haven't figured out yet. They must have footage of him going in and out of this hotel room uh, from at least the casino floor. I mean, I, I was in Vegas the day before this happened, right? I was just in a casino down the strip. There is no way to get in and out of your hotel room in any capacity without going past lots of cameras. We haven't seen anything. They haven't released any footage of this guy doing that from what I've seen. I haven't seen him with the bags of guns going up to his room. What's with the delay? I mean, there's there's no trial against the shooter. He's killed himself. It is, it's not conspiratorial to ask questions that should be obvious. If you look at the pictures even around the hotel, there are cameras all over you're, you're exactly right when you say there is no way they wouldn't have images of him. There is no way they wouldn't have footage. So for, for people to claim that is conspiracy stuff, it's, oh, man, we've had some great social conditioning of our public to think that asking any questions about our authority or hires up is all conspiracy theory. It's not. This is obvious. So why that is not coming out, I don't know. But we are in a worrisome position, especially as, uh, journalists and people whose job it is to find the truth. And of course, I think the people who are in the worst situation right now are the families and the people who live uh, in Vegas and were impacted by this and are not getting the answers that they rightly deserve. And that's exactly what you're saying. It's not like there is an active investigation towards a living person right now. The man is dead. They're not chasing someone down. They don't have to keep too much of it private or it'll ruin some sort of uh like catching someone it it makes no sense why they would not release that i'd be curious to hear your theories because like i said i'm really trying to bite my tongue i yeah i'm i'm mostly sticking to questions because i don't want to get caught up in in being uh you know way ahead of the facts but we need more facts for a lot of this lauren southern everybody lauren where can people go to read your latest and uh and see what you're up to you can find me on Twitter at Lauren underscore Southern or search for me on YouTube, Lauren Southern. All right, Lauren, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, all right, team, we are going to get into a quick break here. We'll take some calls. Third hour coming up. We will discuss the latest on Weinstein. Just a little bit of wines. No, not too much. You know, I'm making tying name here, making sure that I don't get... 
too far down the rabbit hole of like a, all Weinstein analysis all the time, which I think some networks are doing and some shows are doing. Uh, just a little bit. And then we will Team Buck Speaks. So that'll be you. And then uh, Friday the 13th, where does it come from? So that's what you can expect to stay with. And uh, whatever else fun, interesting stuff comes to mind. We will be right back. Buck Sexton here with you all now. We've got lines lit. Let's get into some calls here. Benny in North Carolina on WPTI. Hey, Benny. Hey, Buck. What's up? Good, good. Thank you for calling. Yeah, I appreciate you taking my call. Listen, um, I've been holding for a while. I'm here in uh, the WPTI area, and I heard the the earlier call from Mike where uh, he he pretty much gave the, the idea that you know, it really wasn't anybody's business except for the people who were offended. And I, I man, I'm gonna tell you, it just made my blood boil. Um, but that's one. I, I believe that's one of the biggest problems we see in America today is people aren't willing to stand up when they see injustice and wrong. Um, I was telling your screener a couple of years ago. I, w- I was driving down a main street here in the town where I live, and. Uh, I witnessed a young woman walking down the street with a man behind her, uh, basically beating her over the head with something, a, a stick of some kind. And, uh, you know, I couldn't drive by. I, I, I had to stop. I, I had to I had to stop and say something uh, to, to cause that situation to be interrupted. Um, you know, I didn't call the police. But yeah, but you um, felt a duty it, to intervene. I understand honor compelled oh, absolutely. action. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I think honor should have compelled a lot of action from people in Hollywood that could have said, you know, all all it really took were a few people with enough power and enough, I, we didn't. Did we lose him or did he hang up? Oh, he hung up. Okay. Well, shield side, buddy. Appreciate the call. Um, you could have people in Hollywood speak up, and and that would have gotten the ball rolling, and that would have been it. But people like to be, they like to be celebrated. They like to be adored by the public. Not loved. Love requires actual knowledge of a person, right? Uh, but they like to be uh, revered and rich and live posh, elite, separate lives from all the rest of us. And Weinstein was a gateway to all of that for them and, and a guarantor of it for many of them as well. And they just didn't want to give it up. Just pure so it's just pure selfishness and cowardice. That's how that's really for those around Weinstein, that's what it comes down to. Uh Connor in North Carolina listening on the iHeart app. Hey Connor. Shields hi Buck, how's it going, man? Shields hi, I'm great, man. Thank you for calling. Hope you're having a good week. Yeah, I am. Good. I just had a movie quotes and movie trivia for you. Let's do it. Now, gentlemen, this is a story you shall tell your grandchildren, and mightily bored they'll be. I like your theatrics, but I don't know what that is. Hit the buzz. Bridge too far. The British commander describing Operation Market Garden to everybody. I have never even heard of that. You're, so you're, you're, uh, I, I knew it. This this audience with the military movie quotes, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm biting off more than I can chew here. You're, you're the historian and the movie guy. You should know these. I'm the action movie guy, you know, I, I really, you know, w- w- like mo- movies, movies that don't involve uh, a, a fair amount of uh, profanity and steroid abuse from the 80s. I just don't know quite as well. You know? <laughs> oh, well, OK. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. Is well, that, all, is that anything else, Connor? Well, yeah, just a movie trivia if you want. Oh, sure. Go ahead. 
We're all hanging out. What's so you've been, up? You've been talking about a bunch of British actors playing American soldiers and whatnot. Are you familiar with Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the character who was poisoning King Theoden? Uh, yes. I think so. Uh, he was the guy who was working with Saruman all along. He got thrown out of the kingdom. Yeah, he's like a, sh- a shady-looking character. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember, sure. Yeah. So he would stay with his English accent through all the takes. And so at the end, when he was done with his footage for the day, he'd go back to his American accent. But he did it so well, everybody thought his American accent was fake. Huh. Even the British people. Okay. Thanks for the trip. I mean, the the uh, trivia. Thank you, Connor. A, a little in the weeds. I mean, kind of pulling the weeds up from the roots, like way, way down in the weeds. You know, I, I could taste the dirt. We're so down in the weeds. But nonetheless, <laughs> I, I like where his head's at. I like where he's coming from on that. Uh, Al in North Carolina. Hey, Al. Hey, Buck. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for calling. Hey, just a quick one. I was listening to the pearl handled stuff earlier well i'm still listening but um it, they're not pearl handles they are ivory okay i i he said but thing. i said that like a few minutes ago oh i didn't hear that i'm sorry uh, I, I apologize uh, you know that's you gotta apology. you gotta pay attention to all three hours of the show uh al well i thought i i, I thought i you know i had you on in my office here and i thought i heard everything but i guess i missed something it's all right, it's all right man we, we all we all make mistakes even me apparently by saying that they were pearl handled which people were like how dare you well I, you know I, that doesn't bother me but there are people that you know i've I watched a number of of uh of uh documentaries and i saw one with his grandson maybe in the last year to two years. And I, I think somebody said that he did carry two different ones, and I think that they are correct. I think one was an early 1902 Colt, maybe, which would have been a 32, and the other one was a 45, um, but, but as, as, a, as a, a revolver. But they were they were pearl, they were not pearl they were ivory according to his grandson. Yep. So, All right. Well, anyway. Al, man, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. I, yeah. I do. I do appreciate the uh, expertise tossed in there for me. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll talk a little Weinstein coming up here. Um, also, by the way, if you want to get included, perhaps in some Team Buck speaks, uh, Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton, and for the few of you, perhaps some of the millennials listening, campus folks who are on Twitter, you can follow me at Buck Sexton, and uh, we can chat whenever there. You can send me a tweet. Uh, and if you don't have gear yet, BuckSexton.com slash store. The Buck, I'm not I'm not doing third person right now. Buck will be right uh, That is third person. I'll be right back. Harvey Weinstein, Bob Weinstein, God bless him. Harvey Weinstein, who believed in us and made this movie. Harvey and Bob Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Thank you, Harvey Weinstein. Especially Harvey. I want to thank Harvey and Bob Weinstein. Thank Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Harvey, who first took me on 20 years ago. I would like to thank Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein, who this had the guts all at the to the Oscars, my friend. Especially Harvey Weinstein, a man of dedication and vision. Uh, Harvey Weinstein. On stage well, listen, so... Harvey and Bob Weinstein, you also break my heart with your uncensored passion. Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Harvey and Bob. And Harvey and Bob Weinstein. To you, Harvey. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, Harvey. Weinstein. The Harvey Weinstein Company, okay? Thank you, Harvey Weinstein, for putting your heart behind this film and shining the light on this. 
We really like to share this with you. I, uh, I want to thank the Mishpuka Weinstein. Those are all different actors. I think at the end there, that was Robin Williams, right? I mean, you've got some of the biggest names in Hollywood, M- many of the biggest names in Hollywood. And they're all thanking Harvey Weinstein up on that Oscar stage. That was a, that's a, a montage that's making the rounds right now. Just to, to put in perspective for everyone who is uh, wondering how important, how powerful is this guy? He basically got to determine who became a superstar and who's somebody that you never heard of. And that gives you a better sense, I think, of how it's possible for someone to be such a, a blatant and aggressive and serial predator as this guy was because he was so powerful to so many people because he had the ability to co-opt. Very few people could do this now. In fact, the reason that Harvey Weinstein was finally fed to the lions was because he was no longer particularly all that useful, not nearly as powerful as he used to be either because the print media is now the online media and he doesn't really control the online media. But in the era of glossy magazines and uh, big subscription newspapers like the Times, the Washington Post, but particularly the glossy magazines, those uh, writers who would live by their checks that they would get from features, which there was a time, you know, I'm, I'm used to now writing for free on a regular basis. That's just become the standard, right? We've, as a writer now in America, you are often, especially on the editorial side, competing with free uh, or competing as free. But there was a time when you'd have writers getting, you know, four or five dollars a word. You know, for a few thousand words, you're doing pretty well, right? I mean, that's at the top end, but there was a time. And Harvey Weinstein was one of the people who could come up to those those features writers exactly the kind of people who would write for, say, The New Yorker, which is what exposed him uh, this past week and say, you know what, I want to I want to option I want to option your last piece for a screenplay. Imagine that. I mean, imagine you're used to, you know, just scraping by on whatever freelance work you could do. And then this guy is able to say to you, hey, just, you know, Attack this target that I don't like. Write, write a really unflattering piece about this person. And I'm going to option that uh, feature that you wrote for the New Yorker, for New York Magazine, for Vogue, for Vanity Fair, for whatever. I know a lot of you are like, Buck, none of that stuff matters anymore. In the 90s, it used to matter a lot. When, when Weinstein was doing a lot of his worst, the uh, glossy magazines were still very powerful they were cultural touchstones. They, they mattered in the national conversation, and he co-opted those people. Uh, he neutered whatever journalistic impulse they had and managed to either uh, do a version of what uh, Pablo Escobar used to call uh, plata, plata y plomo, silver or lead. The version of that with Weinstein was, let me option your book, or I'll have one of my other people write about how you know, you're a wife beater or you're, you know, cheating on your taxes or you're whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. Because we're talking about gossip stuff. And one of the most insidious parts about gossip columnists is that they use journalistic, quote, ethics to protect sources that are just engaging in smears. So the, the whole machinery, Weinstein understood how to be a propagandist. He understood. Yeah, he understood information warfare. 
He was a Hollywood guy, but he was somebody who was engaged in psyops, psychological operations against anybody who opposed him. And it was incredibly effective. It's a fascinating case study in power. And that's why I thought it was interesting to just start with all of the everyone. Thank. Oh, why? Thank you, Harvey. Oh, I have to thank Harvey Weinstein. This is somebody who, in terms of power within Hollywood, which you can, I mean, you, you can argue that uh, Hollywood is, in many ways, the most powerful cultural incubator in this country, right? It's the place where you have the great, at least in terms of our day-to-day, it's changing now because TV, and when I say Hollywood, I also mean a lot of TV stuff, and, and it, it's changing because now you have uh, Netflix and Amazon and some of these new huge digital players that have a much bigger say. I should note that they're progressive institutions as well, but the uh, the scripted Hollywood universe of movies and television has had a profound impact. I, I mean, I would just note, for example, if you were to tell me, or if you were to ask me, if you were to tell me, tell me something right now, if you were to ask me, what was the single, what was the single most uh, effective tool for the uh, gay marriage movement in this country? It's not the New York Times. It's not. Uh, it's not any of the news organizations. It is Hollywood. It is scripted shows. It is movies that were specifically intended to present same-sex marriage as uh, as you know, great, wonderful, the same, whatever it may be. But to present a very positive view of same-sex marriage. Um, the the show Modern Family, for those of you who watch it, is has done more to uh, to make same-sex marriage seem like every other relationship than anything else that I'm aware of. And Will and Grace is also a very uh, very popular show, which they're bringing back, I should note. And I'm not, I'm, not actually, I'm not judging one way or the other or in any way the message of those shows. I'm just saying they were powerful. You can see the proliferation of uh, Hollywood movies and TV shows that were incredibly sympathetic to and created a, an affection in the public for the characters depicted who were in same-sex relationships or same-sex marriages. Uh, that is what changed public opinion more than anything else, I think. I think that Hollywood played a very, very big role in that. And so I just point to that so we have an understanding of how, you know, how powerful all of this really is that the perceptions can drive the political realities. And so that's why now getting back to the Weinstein situation, this is not a guy, this is not somebody who wherever you are in the country, wherever you live in the country, you can say, well, you know, it's some coastal elite, you know, maniac sicko jerk. It doesn't affect me one way or the other. He was making decisions about what movies you get to go. You for decades were able to go see in the Cineplex in whatever town you live in. He was making decisions about what you were going to see on TV, whether you're cable subscriber, satellite, whatever it may be. What was being beamed into your home, into your your bedroom or living room? Harvey Weinstein had as much impact on that as anybody else in the country. And then when you add on top of it all the bundling that he did for prominent Democrats, uh, this this is a black eye for the Democrat Party that they are not going to be able to shake off anytime soon. 
they are going to have difficulty, I think, uh, getting anywhere with uh, this issue that is, you know, <laughs> making this go away. I mean, they're not, they're not going to be able to just make this one go away. So uh, I just, the, the Weinstein situation is uh, going to be problems for them. And it has finally taken some of the, just the glee with which the left would report on all of the other big sexual harassment stories that have come out over the last 12 months that have largely uh, involved conservatives or people on the right. You know, this is, sexual harassment has always been a bipartisan thing. And I also feel very strongly that we need to separate out sexual harassment from sexual assault from rape and and be clear about what we're talking about because uh, sexual harassment can be mean comments with harvey weinstein we're talking about actual physical abuse that is uh felonious so that's a, a very important distinction to keep in mind so anyway uh, i i also and this is thank you this is a total aside i just had to have amy hand me something of uh, of research value here um but I also, as, as a total aside, think that it was looking looking back at a lot of the Weinstein movies. Eh. And this has nothing to do with anything other than just it's Friday. And I'm thinking about movies. A lot, a lot of that stuff is really overrated. That's just my opinion. But the guy's a maniac, and uh, I, I think they're going to press charges against him. That's my my estimation is they're they're going to they're going to get him on something. They're going to try and make an example out of him. And you know what? They should. Uh, we are going to come back in just a moment here. We're going to do some Team Buck Speaks because it's Friday and I want to hear from you via the interwebs. Stay with me. All right, Team Buck, welcome back. It is uh, time to hear your voices or at least to read your thoughts. That actually sounded creepy. You know what I mean. To read your messages to me from uh, the Facebook here in the Freedom Hut. So let's get into some of that. And for those of you listening, if you want to, facebook.com slash Sexton. We have so many folks who listen on demand on the iHeart app and listen on the podcast on their own time that this is a way to get them involved in the conversation. But those of you who call in listening live very much appreciate your time as well, and you are essential and add a lot to what we do here. All right. Josh writes in with the following. You're right on the money with the gender issue. Many conservatives have given up without thinking about it because that's what they hear from the media. You can't change biology. This gender confusion is a return to the dark ages and ignorance of science. Whoa, Josh, not messing around. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a return to the dark ages, but it's definitely not scientific. It's definitely wrong on the science. And, you know, this is an interesting thought experiment. Whenever somebody is just factually correct and you're not, they tend not to get mad at you. They tend to uh, just know that they're right and to hold their ground, but they don't need to get angry. People get angry when they have an opinion that you don't share that they think you should share because they're such a good person. And if you were a good person, you'd have that opinion, too. Right. But if somebody says to me, you know, um, the uh, the earth is flat, I, I don't get angry at them. I just say, well, no, the earth is not. And we can talk about why. But I'm not mad. Right. If somebody says to me that uh, socialism is a better system for organizing society and for distributing uh, limited capital among a population, uh, I would say that's terrible. You're destroying America, right? Or something like that. It's a little different because technically they can say that they're just wrong, but they're not wrong. Factually, they're just wrong based on judgment. All right. You, you see what I'm saying? 
Um, let's get into another one here. He, uh, we have um, some people writing a lot of stuff about Vegas, which is mostly along the, hey, I heard about this conspiracy. And so uh, what do you think about it? But OK, here we go. We got David writing in. Hey, Buck, nothing about Vegas makes sense. How does that guy put 200 rounds through the door and it only hits the security guard in the leg? Mandalay is suppressing information to save their butts from being sued out of business. The timeline is shaping up more and more where they're going to be hit with massive lawsuits. Interesting, the picture that first came showing the suite and the doors definitely didn't look like 200 rounds came through the double doors. Take care, David. David, you know, I, I'm getting a lot of, of heat from people over asking very straightforward questions. You know, this occasionally happens to me on Twitter with this Vegas stuff. And I've had one or two folks who say, you know, oh, you know, you, you, it's disrespectful to law enforcement or disrespectful to the families. I'm like, it's not disrespectful to the families to want to know what happened when the authorities are saying we don't know yet. It's not like what would be disrespectful would be if the police came out and said, hey, here's everything. We've got it. It's locked down. This is the situation. There you go. And then I'm like, no, I don't believe you. Bunch of liars. It's not disrespectful to say, "Okay, they don't have this answer yet. What does that mean? Why don't we have this answer? When will we get this answer? That's where we are with Las Vegas. They do not have a completed picture of everything yet. They do not have a completed picture about motive. And they have changed the timeline three times as of this week, three times. Now you can. I understand that Vegas doesn't have cameras in the hallways of the hotel, cameras in the elevators, though, and certainly cameras everywhere in the casino. You'd think, though, that the timeline would be something that they could get right and get it right right away. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm just asking. I'm, I'm not even asking questions that no one's aware of. I'm just continuing to focus on the fact that there are gaps, and everyone agrees there are gaps, and I want to know why. Um, so here we go. Now we have Dave writing in a uh, great show today, Buck. Uh, by the way, I got into a tete a tete. Oh, a little French, a little Francois. May we bien sûr. Uh, tete a tete with some liberal bullies on Facebook and responded to them this way. And uh, David, that's right. You respond to those liberal bullies. Don't let them don't let them get up in your in your grill. You throw down when you have to um, on Facebook, of course, using your words. All right, Matthew writes in, I have to throw a thank you for the way for the Battle of Lepanto info you shared throughout the years. I never learned about the day that day when I was going through school, and I really enjoyed your radio segments. I'm now a theology teacher at a Catholic school, so I had to make sure that the kids who go through my class didn't grow up missing this important bit of history, too. I even used a clip from the special you did on the blaze during the lesson, but I unfortunately didn't end the class with a shields high. Keep up the great work, Matthew. Well, Matthew, thank you so much. I am I am honored uh, that you would use the Lepanto special. For those who are wondering, I, I did sometime. I'm going to do an updated version at some point. I know that though, those who have been with me a long time have heard me saying this. It's, just, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's not that I don't want to do a produced 90-minute or two-hour-long special on one period in history, but it's a lot of work, and... Uh, you know, it's Buck's got to Buck's got to eat, you know, Buck's got to sleep. It's it's just not that easy. Um, but uh, there is already and it's from my time at, at the Blaze Radio, a 90 minute long special on the Battle of Lepanto with sound effects and you know, music. And we, we really went all in on it. And that's a model of what I'd like to do in the future for other battles as well and other important stories in history. 
I'm just trying to find the best way to do it because a lot of you love it. Some of you seem to be kind of, I'd rather just have Buck do, do normal radio. So I'm, I'm trying, I'm feeling it out, everybody. I'm feeling it out. But uh, I'm glad you enjoyed LaPantel. One of my favorite emails ever, I wish I could find it. It was from a while ago from a listener. It was about how he was uh, training at, I think it was 29 Palms. And he said that there were enough members of Team Buck in his uh, platoon that they would yell shields high during training sometimes as like a thing when they would be doing PT. And that, that actually like made my weekend, maybe my month when I read that, that was a while back. Uh, so back into team Buck speaks here. Let's see the uh, latest. Walter writes in, uh, hi, Mr. Sexton. Hi, Walter. You can call me Buck Walter. If you listen to the show, you can call me Buck. I sympathize with your podiatry problems. And just as a correction, I believe it is called a fibrous non-union. Yeah, it is. Did I say fibrous union? I meant a fibrous non-union. You're right. That means I was wrong again. Tyrone, what's going on? Anyway, in any case, I had this same fracture and subsequent lack of proper healing. I got the surgery. It was not very fun. The reason that I'm writing is I work at the blankety-blank clinic now and do research on an FDA-approved device that aids in Healing, which he spelled H-E-E-L-I-N-G, non-unions. It involves electromagnetic stimulation, and there are a few published works on its efficacy, as well as the one that I wrote that is currently under review. Best, and I hope you find something that helps with your pain. Uh, well, well, Walt, oh, oh, it's actually Jake. Uh, Jake, thank you so much. Um, that's, you are right, as a fibrous non-union, and I appreciate uh, hearing from you on this. So much great medical advice. Ty, I had, I've had... Oh no! For either uh, either surgeons themselves or spouses of surgeons, write in to be like happy to give you my advice and consult. Like the good news with Team Buck is, if I ever get super sick, they're going to help me get patched up and back in the Freedom Hut really fast. So I know I got that going for me, which is nice. All right, hitting a break here. We'll be right back. Stay with me. Well, I got a visitor this weekend, team. Very excited about it. I have a sixty-pound pit bull boxer mix staying with me for the weekend that's right uh this is uh, miss molly's family dog they saved him years ago i think i think she got him off the street and uh with her family and i think harold was in a, in a cardboard box as a tiny puppy and somebody on the street was like offering them up i, I don't even know if they had to buy them or they're just like do you want a dog and uh they they got harold he is a very friendly, very cute fellow. I'll be posting photos up uh, on... If you're on Instagram, by the way, you can follow me, Buck Sexton. I try to post some photos up there of either media stuff or cooking or dogs. That's pretty much what I do. Media, cooking, dogs, and, and sometimes just Molly Molly being pretty. Uh, but the uh, house guest for the weekend, Harold, it's funny because I, I turned to Molly at one point and I said, you know, so where's he? He's a big dog. I mean, at least for New, by New York City standards, 60 pounds is... And, and he's all muscle, too. You know, he's not like uh, it's not like a 60 pound chow chow where it's a lot of hair and you feel like there's a big belly or something. By the way, you know, chow chows are biters. I know that all breeds, you know, have their reputations that it's not really fair to, you know, you got to judge every dog as an individual. Right. But uh, chow chows are biters for whatever reason. They're, they're known to bite. Um, but anyway, Harold, I was wondering, where is he going to sleep? And within 30 seconds of being in the apartment, uh, he had hopped up on top of the bed and and like made himself a little circle in the covers and was very clear. Oh, oh, so that's where he's going to be sleeping this weekend. So I've got I got Harold in the bed. Uh, he is a very 
Very sweet, though. He's 60 pounds and thinks he's a lap dog, so he likes to jump on top of my lap when I'm sitting on the couch. But this is a good, uh, it's a a good uh, test run here. See how it goes, you know, uh, the old homestead for the weekend with the dog. And it, it is a very different thing. I am used to dogs that you can pick up easily. I mean, I could pick up Harold. I mean, obviously, I could bench Harold and then some. But, uh, you know, it's different when you have a dog that can decide that it wants to go in a certain direction, and it's going pretty much in that direction, and it's, it's a struggle. I'm used to little bulldogs and uh, smaller city dogs that you can assert your will very easily with them. But so far, Harold's been great. He, we walked with him. Molly is completely in love with him because it's her family dog, so uh, it's usually with her parents. We're just taking him for the weekend. Uh, but he's a cu- he's a cute fellow. He's tan, he, like I said, very very regal looking, and uh, and very very mus very muscular, very very masculine uh, dog. And um, we're gonna be hanging out. I'm gonna be feeding him and walking him this weekend, and I'm excited. A little treat to have a house guest that is a, a sixty pound uh, slobbering hunk of love. So uh, that's that's what I got there. We're gonna talk about Friday the thirteenth. What does it all mean? Where's it all come from? In just a few. Stay with me. It is Friday the 13th, my friends, as I uh, sit here and get ready to close up shop in the Freedom Hut and send you off for your weekends. I trust you have uh, some fantastic plans or perhaps no plans at all, which is sometimes the best plan. I made my Indian butter chicken uh, the last few days, and uh, Miss Molly is back after a, a prolonged absence. I'm very happy that she's back in town, and she was impressed with my usage of what are considered South Asian spices in my chicken dish. It was quite good. So this coming weekend, she wants to make tortilla chicken soup, and I keep telling her that I will drink gallons of that, and I'm sure it'll be delicious, but it won't be enough. I want to make braised short ribs, but she's pointing out that I cooked pounds of pork to make my pulled pork over the weekend and still have some in the fridge. But I point out to her that short ribs are like an entirely different part of an entirely different animal, man. And, you know, I feel like we're probably going to be eating some tortilla soup this weekend or drinking it, which is why I just do not approve. Okay, soup is not a meal. Soup is not a meal. Stew under certain circumstances and chili can be meals, but soup is not, in fact, a meal. All right, so Friday the 13th, though, enough of my culinary adventures for a moment although they have been quite adventurous recently. Why is Friday the 13th a thing? I feel like it's it, because it is Friday the 13th, we're, ha- we're having some fun on a Friday. We could talk about this a little bit because there's all these great theories about it. And within uh, the astrology and numerology community, numbers have tremendous significance. And different cultures have different numbers that they view as lucky. You know, here we always think of lucky number seven, But in China, they think that four is an unlucky number. I don't even know why. I think because four and death sound similar in Mandarin Chinese, uh, but different. I think 26 is supposed to be a very lucky number. Obviously, 666 is the number of Lucifer, the devil, Beelzebub, all those different names for uh, the same. This is getting me excited for our Dracula, real Dracula show coming up in a few weeks, I should note. I, I... I find the actual story of Dracula and then all the lore and folklore around vampires uh, to be fascinating stuff and and well worth the discussion. I I should note that 
I feel like much of the uh, Christian basis for those stories and legends is increasingly uh, washed out of Dracula and vampires these days. They, they make it all about, it's all about the silver and the sunlight. But as I will remind you, when we get into Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is the granddaddy of all of these stories, whether it's, um, you know, uh, memoir, uh, what's the, what's the uh, vampire movie? What's the one with the vampires versus the wolves? Underworld. And what's the one with the, like, teenagers who, what's that called? True, true, no, True Blood? Twilight. See, I can't even, there's True Blood, there's Twilight, I mean, all this vampire. Bram Stoker is the granddaddy of all of this. He is the founding father of vampires. Yes, you want to suck your blood, you know, that whole thing. Um, So, it's... Noteworthy that in the original Bram Stoker's Dracula, what was the real silver bullet? The Eucharist, the Holy Communion, the blessed wafer that becomes through transubstantiation the body and blood of Christ for uh, Catholics and um, some Christians. So that's that was the secret weapon against Dracula. People always forget this now. Sometimes it makes its way into more... Uh, faithful renditions film renditions of the original but now it's all about like laser guns and you know exploding silver grenades and everything the holy eucharist i mean there's a lot of symbolism i I know that we're talking about legends right but the holy eucharist is the secret weapon against the vamp because the vampire is the devil and you know this is i'm see i'm already excited about it and we're not even there yet we're not even getting into that discussion about uh about halloween and vampires but it is friday the 13th which is occurring in october and this year i think there are three friday the 13th so people are saying it's like woo, yeah right attack if i'm wrong just just check that are there two well there's more than one i think i could be wrong but how often guys how often am i really wrong let's be real here i know you know i know you have to keep me in check but like it's i'm definitely i'm like a, i'm like a one-man politifact in here i, I tend to get it right um, okay, so on to I'm about to I'm about to just butcher history here. I'm sure with a lot of improper and wrong dates, everything else. So why is Friday the Thirteenth a thing? Well, we can. Why don't we start from the beginning? Although it actually might be more instructive to start from uh, recent history because I Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the Thirteenth is a twentieth. Oh, there are two Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, pff, I was close. I was one off. Whatever. All right, Ty. All right, Amy. You win this one. They called me out on this. There are two Friday the 13th this year. So uh, that's what I get. I'm so humble usually. It's awesome. Um, the, the reality of Friday of 13 is as follows. Um, we don't know. We don't know why Friday the 13th. Or Sorry, forget Friday. We don't know why 13 is a number that is considered unlucky. But this accounts, for those of you who are like, Buck, who cares? The stock market tends to go down on Friday the 13th. The number 13 is skipped over in a majority, a vast majority of office buildings and homes across the country. There are no 13s. There's a whole this is a a superstition that has seeped deep into our minds, my friends. This is not something that's just a, a kind of sort of maybe uh, this this affects they they have tallied it up over time hundreds of millions of dollars in this country they think are lost or changed or 
uh, spent on avoiding 13s in one way or another. I mean, they can't even really tally it up, but they know it has major con- major economic consequences on the day. People don't want to fly. People don't want to sign business bills. Pe- pe- uh, people don't want to do a whole different bunch of stuff. Okay, so where does it come from? Why is 13 a problem? And I know a lot of you are already shouting out because you have answers, but let me say there's no one answer. There are a bunch of different answers, and I'll try to give you some of the coolest ones. Some are completely urban legends, but they sound cool, so I'm going to tell you them anyway. And others make a little more sense, maybe, but here we go. Uh, Kicking it way old school from the Code of Hammurabi, which people think of as the first written code of laws. And it's where you get the notion of, well, a a, a code of laws written down. And people often talk about uh, the Code of Hammurabi's um, eye for an eye attitude towards things. Right. So if the house falls, if your house falls in on you, the person who built your house, I think the house falls in on him. And that was just the the legal ethos of the time uh, way back in the day. But it omitted a 13th law from the original list of legal rules. So the Code of Hammurabi, I mean, kicking it Babylon style here, ancient Babel, uh, Babylonian code um, of Hammurabi. There was no 13th law, so people feel like that had something to do with the superstition. Um Probably the biggest one for uh, for at least Christians or believing Christians is that Judas was the 13th to show up at the Last Supper. And so we all know how that went. Right. It was uh, he got his pieces of silver and Jesus was crucified, but he was the 13th uh, apostle to show up. And so Judas is uh, forever associated with 13 in that way. And I think that alone is probably the most responsible for the notion in uh, the Western world of 13 being uh, something that you want to try to avoid. In much more recent, and I'm going to have to bring this into the Friday the 13th thing in a second, I should note that Friday, Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified, so there's also that significance of just the day Friday during uh, during the week. Um, but when you look at the most interesting theory about why Friday the 13th is such a uh, superstitious day, you get to go into one of my favorite historical topics, the Knights Templar. Many of you are familiar with the Knights Templar. They were one of the monastic orders of fighting knights that came out of the uh, Crusades and they became incredibly powerful and they were bankers. Uh, they owned castles. They were a big deal in Europe. And on Friday the 13th, 1307, there was a raid. The uh, French monarch, I think, uh, I don't want to say because I'm going to get it wrong. I forget which French monarch it was. He was the fourth. I'm going to go Henry because there's a lot of, oh, no, Philip. Darn it. Come on, Buck. Step up your game. Uh, Philip IV wanted to seize their assets, and so he arrested hundreds of the Knights Templar, and they uh, never really fully recovered from it. They were kept in uh, prison, and some of them ended up being burned at the stake. Uh, They were tortured, all kinds of really, really nasty medieval stuff going on. Um, Some of them were kept in their cells for two years, and then 50 of them were burned at the stake in 1310 A.D., 
so that's why some people say that Friday the 13th, not just the number 13, specifically became uh, a day to avoid because of the Knights Templar. Uh, but I have to note that that's, some, that's a story that, yeah, D- uh, Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code made it a much more well-known thing. The Da Vinci Code is one of the most overrated works of literature since people started printing things. Um, but that is uh, why people have become have come to know that story much better. But that's not the reason. There are some other for the Friday the 13th uh, superstition. There are some others as well. There was a book in 1907 by Thomas Lawson called Friday the 13th in which a stock market speculator uh, who – Think of him like Gordon Gecko, early early nineteen early twentieth century. Uh, he deliberately he forces a stock market crash, and in this book Friday the Thirteenth, and so people say, well, maybe that's why this notion got caught up in in pop culture that there was this book and this guy was a stock speculator and did bad things, and so there you have it. Um, that's another version of why people. Consider this to be an unlucky day. And then finally, there's just that whole series of movies about a slasher named Jason Voorhees, who was born on Friday the 13th, did his glorious killing on on that day and uh, spawned a series of movies, 12, in fact. They never made what you would think Friday the 13th. Don't they make 1313? You know what I'm saying? Friday the 13th, 13th. They've made 12 of those movies. Which I guess having some big dude put on a hockey mask and like a lot of fake blood and a machete is not a hard thing to script out, you know, have have like uh, people in their late teens, early 20s walk around like, should I just walk into the dark area of the woods? I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't. Yeah, no, it's fine. Don't be a wimp. And everyone gets all slashed up and everything. I've seen a fair bit. I was never really into horror movies. I've seen a fair amount of them maybe the only one that's ever really scared me is the exorcist, which I still don't want to ever watch again. And I used to live right down the street. And I mean, three or four houses down the street from the steps that are at the very end of the exorcist. And it was always hard to get out of my head that those, those are very ominous steps after you've seen that movie. Um, And they have a kind of eerie, eerie vibe. Uh, So anyway, this is why people are, all concerned about uh, Friday the 13th. Um, those are the different, at least those are the different variations on. I'm sure some of you know about, I don't know, numerology, astrology, other things that factor into all of this. And I'm probably forgetting some of the other urban legends that go into it. But you have the Knights Templar back in 1307 on Friday the 13th. You got the Friday the 13th movies. You got a book called Friday the 13th written in 1907. You got uh, Judas as the thirteenth apostle. You've got a missing law for the twelfth or the thirteenth law in the Code of Hammurabi, and yeah, I, I think I've got. And that's why, if you come to come to New York City or come to you know any any uh, town that has a lot of uh, skyscrapers and, and large buildings, no thirteens in the buildings. You just won't find thirteenth floors. My old building uh, went to fourteen, but there was no thirteen. So you know that's just the way that it is. So, team, uh, please spread the word about the show when you get a chance over the weekend. If you're sitting around the uh, barbecue or you're carving up some pumpkins or however it is you're spending your uh, spare time until we get to hang out again on Monday, uh, be like, hey, have you heard this guy, Buck Sexton? You should download his podcast or you should listen to him on the iHeart app. Show is growing all the time because of all of you and also 
Uh, we have great relationships with our sponsors, and that's because I think this team in particular understands that they're sponsors that are partnering with us. And so when you support them, you're supporting us here in the Freedom Hunt. So thank you so much for uh, being uh, such a such a great squad out there. And with that, I think I'm going to let you get off to your weekends and uh, enjoy yourselves. Uh, be safe, be restful, be good. And until Monday, no matter what comes your way, shields high.